To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? To what shall I compare the kingdom of... I got it. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The, The smallest of all seeds. It's like a mustard seed that some guy planted in a field and it grew. But it didn't just grow. It grew into a tree. It grew into a tree so big that that the birds of the air nested in it and rested in it. You you need more? Okay, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? The kingdom of God is like, um, it's like, it's like yeast in dough. It's like a a little bit of leaven that, that a woman worked into three measures, like 50 pounds worth of dough, and the leaven just kept spreading throughout all of that flour, throughout all of that dough, until all 50 pounds had gone and blown up. That, that's what the kingdom of God is like. See? I'll make sense of it. Today we're starting a brand new teaching series called Stories Jesus Told. And we're, we're taking a journey from now all the way up until Easter where we're looking at the, the most famous and in some cases the most scandalous of parables that were told and taught by Jesus. And today we're looking at two of his shortest stories, his quickest parables. They're really just like analogies. The story of the mustard seed and the story of the yeast. Jesus tells us about a mustard seed that grows into a tree. And then he tells us about some sourdough starter that works its way through three measures, 50 pounds of flour. Now, in these stories, Jesus is attempting to answer a burning question in the hearts and minds of his people, a question that you and I still wrestle with to this day. The question is this, what in the world is God up to? What's he doing? You ask this question all the time. Whenever you see something on the news that, that breaks your heart, whenever you, you, you see something scrolling through your news feed that fills you with rage, whenever you go through a personal difficulty, a family tragedy, you ask this question, what in the world has God up to? Even when you see something that makes you scratch your head and go, what? Like, for example, I heard that earlier this week, An iPhone 1, a first-generation iPhone, 2007 iPhone, sold at auction for $63,000. Did you hear about that? Which, by the way, is half the price of the new iPhone 15. (laughs) Or did you see this? That that Pepsi, in time for Easter, is releasing Peeps-flavored Pepsi. That's true. That's a real thing. The world is a sad place. There are certain things that, that happen and make you just scratch your head and go, What? What in the world is God up to? If God is real and God is active, then why is he allowing all of this craziness to go on? What in the world is God doing? That is the question that Jesus is attempting to answer with these two very short, seemingly very strange stories about mustard and leaven. Now, there's a lot that can be said about the kingdom of God from just these two stories, but what I want to do is highlight three things. The three most important things I believe that Jesus is trying to communicate to us about the kingdom of God and the three most important ways in which Jesus is attempting to answer this question of what is God up to. The first thing we can take away from these two quick little stories is that God is at work. 
God is at work. Whenever Jesus uses the phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, uh, and he uses it a lot, he is not talking about a location. He's not talking about a place. We, we understandably assume that he's talking about maybe castles and thrones and drawbridges and knights, but he's not talking about that. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he's talking not about a place, but about an activity. It's less of a noun and more of a verb. Jesus is talking about the reigning and ruling activity of God. And what he's saying is, God is always at work doing his king thing in this world. He's always reigning and ruling and kinging, if you will. That's the first and arguably the most important point that Jesus makes. God is always at work. Now, now why choose a mustard seed and some sourdough starter to make this point? Well, it tells us two things about the character of God's work. Well, the first thing it tells us is that God's work is often hidden. I mean, what happens to the seed? The seed doesn't stay on top of the ground. It gets buried in the ground, right? It gets covered over by dirt. You can't see it. And what happens to that leaven? What happens to that yeast? It gets worked deep into the 50 pounds of flour. You can't see it anymore. But is it still working? Yes. Is the seed sprouting? Yes. It's hidden under dirt and in flour, but it is still working. Not only that, it tells us that, that God is at work not just when we can't see him, but apart from our own effort and additions to his work. You see, the amazing kind of miraculous thing about a seed or about some yeast is that they work on their own. The seed carries within it its own capacity to sprout. And the yeast carries within it its own capacity and ability to work. And here's why this is important. You and I often get caught in the trap of thinking that God needs our help. Or that he needs us to somehow activate his activity. We don't see things happening in our life the way in which we want them to happen. And so we think, well, maybe I didn't pray enough. Maybe I didn't give enough. Maybe I didn't serve enough. Maybe I did some bad things. So now God is withholding this good thing. We paint this picture of God as the wallflower at the junior prom. He's here and he's, he's ready and waiting for you, but you, you, you have to go and you got to grab his hand and take him for a twirl. That's what you got to do. Otherwise, God will just stand back and do nothing. But that's not what Jesus tells us, not the picture he paints when he chooses a seed and he chooses yeast. What he's saying is God is at work in hidden ways that you can't see at all times apart from your effort, apart from your addition, apart from your incantation. Can you work with him? Can you join him? Yes. But are you essential to his activity and him getting his will and his work done in this world? I hate to break it to you, but you're not that important. No. God is at work in hidden ways behind the scenes all the time. And this is really good news for some of us because some of you have been looking at a difficult situation that you are holding in your hands, a marriage that continues to struggle or loneliness that persists or depression that won't shake or a job that won't come. And, and you are tempted to think, well, well, maybe I've done something wrong and so God is withholding his blessing. Or maybe I haven't done my part so that God will do his part. Jesus has good news for you. God does not withhold his blessings. God does not withhold his work. He does not withhold his activity based on you.
In the same way that the farmer doesn't make the seed sprout, and the baker doesn't make the yeast grow, you don't make God work. God is at work at all times, in hidden ways, on his own accord, with his own power. Now, the other thing that this, this kind of twin set of parables tells us is not only that God is, work, but he, God is at work, but God is at work primarily in the small things. God is at work in the small things. Mustard seeds and leaven were common images or analogies in the ancient world. In the same way that we use, we use certain expressions like, like um, we, we blew the roof off the place or this person was a handful, they had certain expressions to illustrate certain things in the ancient world as well. And mustard seeds and leaven were common illustrations. They were used to illustrate weak and small and meager things. You'd use a mustard seed or leaven as reference for something weak and small and meager. What Jesus is saying when he compares the kingdom of God to a mustard seed or to leaven is that, look, God is not only working behind the scenes on his own, apart from your effort and addition, but God is at work in the small things, the weak things primarily. If you want to see where he's working, if you want to notice his activity, if you want to get as close as you possibly can to the work of God, his reigning and ruling work in this world, then open your eyes to and embrace the weak and the small things and the seemingly insignificant things and the easy to overlook things in this world because that, that's where God is. And of course, this makes sense once you think about it. I mean, just look at the, the story of the scriptures of this, this record of God's activity in our world and look at the people that he chooses to work in and work through. Does he choose the wise and the successful and the capable and the most holy? No, most often not. He often, if not exclusively, chooses the weakest, the lowliest, the messiest, the most sinful, the most disgraceful to be the leaders and the primary players in this story. It reads like, like the HR manual from hell. Like all the wrong people God picks and he works through. But not only that, like, like Jesus shows up and Jesus starts preaching the message of the kingdom. And what does he say? He says, the brokenhearted people, they're the ones who have the eyes to see God's activity. The one who are weak in this world, they are the ones who can, who can see and perceive what God is doing because they've already been humbled. The facade has been broken. They know that they're weak and they see the weakness and brokenness in this world because that's where God resides. They can see him. And then you know as well as I do that there is story after story in the whole of human history of God showing up. And where does he show up? Does he show up on the mountaintop experiences of life? No, he, he is not the God of the mountain. He is the God of the lowlands. He, he shows up and he gives his gifts and he does his work when you are at the end of your rope. That's the story everybody tells. He likes to meet you at the place we call rock bottom. That's how the story goes. And, and then what other promises do the scriptures make? The scriptures say promises like this. Oh, you can have an encounter with the physical presence of God. Did you know that? 
But it's not behind a velvet rope with elite access. No, it's, it's buried in with and under bread and wine on a Sunday morning. What? Oh, did, did you know that, that you can experience new life? But, but it's not on the other end of 10 easy steps given to you by an, an Instagram influencer. It's, it's offered to you in lukewarm water and some promises from the Bible in baptism on a Sunday morning. Oh, did you know that you can hear the very voice of God? But it doesn't come in a secret whisper that only the truly knowledgeable can grasp. It doesn't come in a glorious clap of thunder. How is God's voice heard through the, the stutters and the stammers of a struggling preacher on a Sunday morning? Where is God to be found? Is to be found in the weak places, in the lowly places. This is where God is at work. God is always at work. He's at work in the small things. In the small things. You know, maybe the reason you find yourself in a place where you say, you know what, I, I don't feel like I've got much of God in my life. I don't feel like I see him working and moving. I don't feel like he's really active at all. I see a whole lot of chaos in the world. There's some issues in my own personal life, and I don't know what God is up to. Maybe the reason you are struggling to perceive the presence and the activity of God is because you are looking in all the wrong places. Maybe you make the same mistake that most everybody else has made, that, that God's presence is equated with human notions of power and success. But it's not. Here's where God shows up. God shows up in all the places he's not supposed to be. He shows up with sinful people who are willing to admit their sinfulness. He shows up in weak things that the rest of the world disregards, like, like, like bread and wine and mediocre preaching and, and water and baptism. He, he shows up in a church that doesn't have much power or in, import in this world. This is how he shows up. And maybe the reason you have, you, you feel like you don't feel much of his presence or see much of his power is because you fail to realize that God shows up where he's not supposed to be. Maybe it's because you've snubbed your nose at the small things. The small things like recognizing your sin rather than rationalizing it. The small things like praying prayers of confession of sin to your father rather than making excuses for it in your own heart and mind. The small things of trying to reconcile a relationship rather than just say, it's, it's fine for things to be broken between me and them, don't need them anyway. The small and the weak things of trying to abstain from stuff that the rest of the world says you can indulge, but you know is not good, you know is not of God. The small and the weak things of trying to make a habit out of actually reading the scriptures, though it doesn't feel very fun, or coming to church, even though no one likes to get out of bed before noon on a Sunday morning. Maybe the reason you don't feel like you have much of God's presence and power every day is because you have expected him to show up in awesome ways. But instead, he has promised to show up in the small, in the mundane, in the weak, 
in the broken ways. That's where he's promised to be. Now, there's one more important thing to grasp in these two parables. Not just that God is at work, albeit in hidden ways and and apart from our own effort and energy, and not just that God is at work in small things, but, but that God is at work in small things doing a big thing. He's at work in small things doing a very big thing. You know, it's, it's no coincidence that Jesus talks about that, that mustard seed growing into a tree. They didn't typically grow into giant trees, let alone trees that can house the birds. It's no coincidence that he talks about the leaven that goes through 50 pounds of dough. That's, a, that's enough bread to feed a small army. Jesus' point is this, that, that the kingdom work of God, though hidden, though working on its own accord, Though, though active in small things and meager things and humble things and easily overlooked, nobody wants to do them kind of things, this work of God, this reign and rule of the kingdom is going to grow and expand and just keep growing and growing and growing until it overtakes every atom of existence. That's the full promise. And we see hints of this coming to life already in the history of the church. I mean, you think about when Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and then ascended into heaven. At at the peak of his ministry, you know, he's ascending into the clouds. People are like, man, he probably was really the real deal, huh? He's got maybe a few dozen followers. That's it. And then, you know, fast forward 20 years, and there's 8,000 followers of Jesus Christ. Then you go to like 350 AD. There's 34 million followers of Jesus Christ in the Roman Empire. But how did it spread? Did it spread largely through power? No, it spread in weakness, through persecution, through suffering. From from one peasant sharing the gospel with another, one beggar giving bread to another, that's how it spread, but it spread nonetheless. And and now you've got billions upon billions of people who have had their slates wiped clean through the blood of Jesus Christ and been given the hope of eternal life through his resurrection from the dead. Billions upon billions of people. You also have billions more who have been on the receiving end of acts of mercy and kindness on the fight for justice in Jesus' name. Let me give you an example. Did you know that in the United States alone, 70% of all charitable giving in this country comes from people of faith. People of faith gathered around the name of Jesus, giving generously to their churches, giving generously to other organizations in the community. They're working for good, working for the things that God loves. Sure, there are some really wealthy people included in that, but the vast, vast majority of it is is everyday normal people who, who have very little to share, sharing what little they have. It's through humility and sacrifice and service that all of this continues to spread and grow. And Jesus says it's just gonna continue to grow and grow and grow until, until this work, this activity of God God is is covering over every aspect of life in this world. And And that's good news for you too. Because what you need to know is that you are a part of something that that God is growing and expanding, and He's going to bring it to completion. 
And God has a work that he's doing in you as he works through your weakness, through your suffering, through your struggle, through your confession of sin, through your reception of grace and reliance upon the mercy of Jesus. Through all the weak and little things that he's working in and through in your life, he is working toward a beautiful, glorious ending. He is working toward a big thing. St. Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 1. He says this, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you about another tree. This is the, the tree of the tree of cosmic life. The world tree, it's sometimes called. This is actually not a picture of that. These are redwoods in California, but just to give you a sense of what I'm talking about. Uh, What I'm referencing is this. In ancient mythology, there was often talk of a gigantic tree. You see it in, in, throughout ancient mythology, in, in a number of, of ancient religions, they reference this massive tree. You even see it referenced in the Old Testament multiple times, but particularly like Ezekiel chapter 30, it talks about this, this giant tree that would grow and encompass the entire world. You see, there was this common story, this common image that was passed around the ancient world of a tree that would grow so large and so big that its canopy would cover the whole existence of mankind, and its roots would go so deep and run so wide that it would be found in the soil underneath every single person's foot. It was an image that was often employed when, when there'd be a, a, a foreign country that was growing and everyone was afraid of, and they were afraid that it was going to become the thing that overtook the whole world. They would reference it as the big world tree whose canopy is going to be over everyone, whose roots would run deep. There was a common, common image this notion that someday something would come along that would grow so big, so expansive, that it would cover and envelop absolutely everything. And that could be a good thing, or it could be a bad thing. Now, now generally speaking, a large tree is a good thing. I mean, have you been to the redwoods in California and looked up? It's incredible, isn't it? It's like magic. Or have you, have you sat underneath a giant pecan tree on a hot Houston summer day? It's like literally life-saving, isn't it? Now, Jesus knows this image. He knows it very well. He knows that it's a common reference point, this world tree, this cosmic tree that could grow to cover everything. Jesus knows this. And so it is no coincidence that when he talks about the mustard seed, he doesn't talk about it growing into a giant mustard bush or shrub. What does he say? The mustard seed grows into a massive what? Tree. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that grows into a massive tree so big that all the birds of the air can rest inside of it. What is Jesus saying to his first century hearers? He is saying, my message, the kingdom that I am an emissary of, the movement of God that is now among you through me is that tree. It moves and works behind the scenes. It is sprouting in weakness and humility. But do not be deceived. It will grow and grow and grow and grow until it encompasses every square inch of reality. And it has shade for every living thing. And its roots run deep and cover 
everything. And indeed, what ends up happening to Jesus? Jesus is crucified in weakness, but it's said that he's crucified not just on a cross. Some people called it a what? Tree. He's crucified, he's killed on the tree, and from that tree, though he's killed in weakness, he, he forgives the sins of mankind, and he rises out of the grave, and now from that tree that he's killed, there flows mercy and grace enough to cover over and cast shade upon every living thing. And the roots of his resurrection run so deep that there is now everlasting life available for everyone. And at the return of Jesus Christ, the fullness of that tree, the greatness of that kingdom is going to be revealed for all to see, for no one to doubt. Jesus is going to come back. And the only thing that we will know is that we sit underneath the shade of the grace and the goodness and the glory of God. That is all that we will know. It will no longer be hidden. It will be seen in Full. God is at work in the small things, in the weak things, working toward a very, very big thing. I guess what I want to say to you is this. If you, if you feel like a seed, dead and dropped to the ground, Know that you have fallen on the good soil of Jesus Christ and underneath the shade of a tree that he is growing, that is growing fast, and God is working in you to sprout in you something good. He's working through your weakness and pain to draw you closer to him. He's working through your, your, your meager status and your struggles of this world. He's working through all of it to draw you deeper into his love and closer to him. And it is not for nothing. It is not for waste. It is part of something much bigger that is growing and growing and will not be stopped. But here's the thing. You will only appreciate that and understand that if you are willing to look at and wrestle with and deal with the small things and the weak things where God's activity is found. You want to see God working? Look at your wounds. You want to experience God's power? Confess your sins. You want to feel God's presence? Come to church more than once a quarter, for goodness sake. You want an encounter with his physical presence? Come to the Lord's table. You want to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you and the people you love are part of his family? Get your kids baptized for Pete's sake. It's been too long. He is here to be found. He's not in the places that you would want or expect. He's where he's not supposed to be in all the weak things that nobody wants to do. But he is here working a great big thing. I want to close with the question. It's not the same question I started with. The question I started with was, what in the world is God up to? Well, we know what God's up to. He's at work in ways that are often hidden, in small things, weak things, broken things, bad things, difficult things, to accomplish a big thing, making his power and his goodness and his glory known in this world. We've answered that question. My question for you is this, and it's a good one for the season of Lent that we are in. What small thing are you avoiding? What weak thing, what humble thing are you avoiding because it's unpleasant or it's not ideal? What small thing are you avoiding and in doing so, missing out on the activity of God? Because that's where he's promised to be found. It could be a sin that you are refusing to confess, 
a habitual struggle that you are unwilling to give up, a prayer that you are too proud to pray, a, a holy habit that you are unwilling to form, a relationship that you'd rather not fix and reconcile. It's a hard thing, it's a weak thing, it's a humble thing, but if you avoid that thing, then you avoid seeing and experiencing the big thing that God is doing. What is the small thing that you are avoiding? Do not despise small things, my friends. Because this is where God is moving and working. And in it all, he's up to something great and good in Jesus Christ. I pray that you would believe that and that you would experience that. Amen.